0: This is The Shift
1: Podcast. Hey, it's Eric. Welcome to The Shift Daily Podcast, where you get your fill of everything all exciting and new from the show. Today, we talk about PETA and how they want you to change negative animal idioms. They call it speciesist. Even saying that is difficult. What else did we do? Oh, and friends. Oh, my goodness, friends. How many of us have them? Ones we can depend on. Amanda Mole is a great writer, and I talked to her about the relationships with people that we had that we didn't even realize were friendships. I know, right? Exciting and new. All this and more on the Shift Daily Podcast. Share it. Subscribe to it. Tell your mom about it. Uh, get it on Apple iTunes, on, on, on Spotify, on, on, the, on the Chromecast, on the Google on the Madoogle. All that stuff. The Shift Daily Podcast starts right now. Okay, back to animals, PETA, people for the ethical treatment of animals. They want you to stop using words as slurs in what it says is a speciesist and supremacist use of language, Leo. The activist group put on an unusual call on its Twitter account last Tuesday, where it claimed that animal-related insults degrade animals by applying negative human traits to certain species. All right, so instead of saying chicken, say coward. Instead of saying rat, say snitch. Instead of snake, say jerk. Instead of pig, say repulsive. Instead of sloth, say lazy. So what the heck is going on? What do they want? Because, you know, there is, there is something to what they're saying. With language, when we change our language, it, it changes the way we, we, we look at things and we analyze them and, and, we, and, we, and, we, and, we, and we think about them. So I called Ashley Byrne from PETA. And I got her to just break down what exactly they're asking us to do and why, why, what's up, what, what, what?
2: Sure, well, you know, Pia is reminding people that words matter. And as our understanding of social justice evolves, our language evolves along with it. And just as it fortunately became unacceptable to use racist, uh, homophobic, or ableist language, uh, phrases that trivialize cruelty to animals, um, or that minimize, um, our animal intelligence are going to vanish as more people begin to appreciate animals for who they are. Um, you know, and, and words have the power to change lives, both human and non-human, and we should let them.
1: Yeah, that's interesting because, uh You're right. Like words are important and and talking about politics all the time, you really do start to understand that more. So I I do understand what you're saying. And I think, and tell me if I'm wrong, but things like this could even subconsciously play a pretty big role in people's opinions when it comes to animals. Do you think?
2: Absolutely. Um, That's a great point. I mean, when we call someone a pig as a slur, for example, um, we're, ignoring the fact that pigs are smart and loyal animals who lead complex social lives and, um, you know, just sort of subconsciously um, allowing ourselves to think of them in a way that that really couldn't be further from the truth. Um, And, you know, speciesism is dangerous. We, we know that racism and sexism allow harmful customs in our society to continue. um, But Speciesism is what keeps the industries that abuse and kill animals in place, and I think that we've learned so much about animals since a lot of these phrases originated. Um, we've really come very far in our understanding of them, so it's time to uh, to update our language.
1: Eight seven seven three nine nine ninety eight ninety eight. Share your thoughts. Ship me a text. Shoot me a shoot me a. What do you call the other thing with the f- phone call? Uh, Ashley, uh, there. I said it before. Now I think this is this is this is wacky, but as I shared with Ashley, I, I think there is value in what they're talking about.
2: Thank you. And you know, I think you make a great point in the fact Thank that you. I think so many people are evolving right now um, in the way that they think about animals and in how their lives and their lifestyles reflect that. And. Um, anything that we can do to advance that is good for animals and it's good for us because you know we all benefit from um from being kind from leading kinder lifestyles but also from you know from getting rid of these old ways of thinking whether we're talking about sexism or whether we're talking about speciesism
1: there you go i there there are other idioms you can use like cool cat can we use the positive ones ashley oh
2: yeah, that's a great question. Thank you. I would say that the positive ones are still okay. Um, I mean, um, I you know, I think that I don't think any of us have any harmful ideas that go along with an idea like "cool cat." And if that has some horrible origin that I don't know about, right? Then <laughs> uh, that I'll revisit it. But yeah, but I, I would think that that you know that that's kind of fun and harmless. I think what concerns us is um, phrases like kill two birds with one stone or, um, you know, which when you think about it, most of us would never do, you know, it, 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 most of us would never actually do um, or more than one way to skin a cat. I mean, that's, that's really something awful. If you think about it or even um, a phrase like Guinea pig, like, you know, calling someone a Guinea pig. Well, really that's, that's referring to um, Guinea pigs and other little animals being experimented on in laboratories or a phrase like lab rat, you know, and, and really, um, scientifically we're moving away from those things. You know, we're, we're really evolving as a society in so many ways, realizing that we don't need to harm animals for our own benefit. Um, that, you know, it's actually, that, whether you're talking about, um, experimenting on animals in labs or, or, you know, killing them in slaughterhouses, um, we are actually much better off when we're not doing these things. So um yeah, so so I think it, it's it's those phrases that either suggest violence towards animals or that minimize animals again in, in ways like calling someone a pig as an insult um that we're concerned with.
1: Okay, there you go. Um <laughs> Ron in Toronto 877 399 9898 I'm sure my cat is saying bad things about me and my friends behind my back. Should I contact my lawyer? Tom says, PETA, should we stop using these negative um Pita, we should stop using these negative animal related insults." Metal band pig destroyer sweats nervously in the corner. <laughs> Good one, Tom. Oh, that's really funny. But I brought that up with Ashley. I said, "Look, animals don't understand words."
2: Well, I think the importance of um, language and how we use these phrases is really uh, about how it affects our thinking um, and, and then our attitudes and our actions towards animals. It's not that the words hurt them because, you know, as you say, they, 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 they don't understand what we're saying. But using cliches and phrases that trivialize cruelty to animals Um, or that make animals a target of our derogatory language, it desensitizes us. And so, and and then because of that, the way that we behave towards animals, uh, you know, is impacted. So it's really about the effect that it has on our thinking and our behavior that then impacts animals that, that we're concerned with.
1: I got a text from Jasper. Uh, Wait, can I still be crazy like a fox? Can I still listen to Freebird? Yes, you can, Jasper. Uh, Joking aside, I agree with her. This is the sanest request I've seen from PETA. Jasper, thank you for seeing my point, too. Yes, you're right. It is the most sane request from PETA. But again, words are important. So the basis of what they're saying, I definitely absolutely agree with. Uh, Mike from Hamilton says, PETA wonders why people don't take them seriously. Then they compare calling someone a snake to calling them a racial slur. Shake my head. I got to agree with that one I feel like when we compare those struggles It's a bit uh, Maybe a bit much But again that's not my battle or argument to have uh, I got another one at 877-399-9898 From someone in Alberta Love the Gusta Cat story Great stuff I know right My cat Hunter named after Flames Tim Hunter Lived to 23 Dave in Calgary Dave 23 year old cat That's amazing I always think about how old my dog will live to She always lived to like they can live up to, like, 18 or something like that. She's seven, so I wonder. Can I still call my cute wife Honeybear? Yes, Trucker Kevin. Your cute wife can still be called Honey Bear. <laughs> Horsing around, Lyle says, yes, that one's okay. It's positive. Only the negative one's, like, to sk- several ways to skin a cat, which is very serial killer-like, so I, I, I'm with that one. I do enjoy the two birds with one stone. I use that one frequently, so that'll be tough to do. Um, got another one, talking about dogs. I had a Jack Russell named Holly for over 11 years. Uh, I loved her so much and still suffer from losing. Oh, I'm sorry. When I first got her, I was, excuse me, stopping the barking till a guy at work said not to. Oh, a small dog can't fight an intruder for you, but they can let you know. Oh, interesting. Interesting. That's a good point. I never thought of that. Because I do let Teeny bark sometimes if she's just startled and she's learning. But, wow, that's a good one. Uh, Catherine says, so no more foxy women. Nope, plenty of foxy women left, Catherine. And, again, a positive one, so we can call them that. Just don't use it inappropriately. If you're singing to Jimi Hendrix, please do. Foxy. Tavara says, last year, Peter protester... Oh, passed away at a pork factory in Burlington, run over. Oh my goodness, that's no good. Oof. You know, I think about animals a lot more often now too. And I think I'm going to be a vegan within 10 years. I've mentioned this before, I think, actually. This isn't a deep thought. I, re- I I said this before. This is
3: the Shift
1: podcast. Okay, so yeah, we're talking about friends. Leo has friends. 3, Leo 4, 7.
0: I, I, six, I, I, that, like it's between, no, 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 no that's too many. I might have to go for no, dinner with somebody. Or no, something. no double digits. <laughs> no, stay in single digits. Cause okay, otherwise stay in. it's trouble. Yeah. Staying,
1: staying stay single. That's the story of my life. Um, uh, so yeah, friends so, like the, 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 ones you, the, the ones you can depend on friends, uh, but those tiny, there's not even a word for it. I just calling the micro friendships, but you didn't think they were even your friends. Like, I'm realizing now my letter carrier, they're my friend. They're not just an acquaintance. I miss them. I miss this crazy guy that used to walk down my block and talk to me. I'd avoid him, but I want to see him at the same time. Like, I miss these people. Amanda Mull, who's a staff writer at The Atlantic, she does wonderful writing. She has an article called, The Pandemic Has Erased Entire Categories of Friendship. There's a reason you miss the people you didn't even know that well. So we talked about it and relationships, friendships and and the things, I started with the things that she misses doing as a group with with her friends. Yes,
0: I really really, I'm a huge football fan, college football in particular. I really miss watching sports in like a crowded bar where everyone's excited and rooting for the same outcome and there's just like, it it feels like one big social organism that you're a part of. Um, I miss that so much. I miss uh, going out to restaurants with my close friends and being able to sit there and split a couple bottles of wine and just talk for an extended period of time and, like, people watch the people around us and, like, eavesdrop on conversations and, you know, just the the action of being in a group of people and all of the sensory stuff that that provides. Um, I, I really miss that in almost any setting. I, I miss talking to my UPS delivery guy. <laughs> Uh, who is so nice and has been coming to my building for years and we used to always, you know, joke around. He knew me by my first name. He would always bring my packages upstairs, even though he'd left most people in the basement. Um, and I don't see him anymore. I've seen him once during the pandemic. Um, so it's, it's just like all the, little, the, the little interactions with all the people who make up my life normally.
1: Yeah. And there's a, in my neighborhood, there's a, there's a lovely older gentleman. He's probably in his eighties. He's in a wheelchair and I miss seeing him. He used to wheel by every day. And if he caught you, he's like, no matter what, he wants to talk to you. So some days you try not to catch his eye, but mostly he's a pleasant guy. And and, and I miss even dodging him to not have the conversation, but it's fascinating how, how I never thought. And I don't know if you did that. I would start missing those little tiny relationships like that.
0: You know, it's it's interesting. I I don't think I had thought about these relationships as relationships. I am right. a, a pretty chatty person. I'm pretty extroverted, so I, I knew immediately once things closed down in New York that that I was going to miss being out in among people. But I don't think that I totally realized all of the relationships I have with specific people, with the people who work behind the counter at my bagel shop, with the, the people who, who run the counter at my corner store, the, you know, I really, really miss the guy who, uh, used to sell me a sandwich at my favorite sandwich shop near my office in Manhattan. I haven't been to Manhattan since March. Um, and I, I didn't like, I enjoyed all of these activities before. And I knew I enjoyed them because I'm a chatty person. And I like to talk to people. I did not know that I would have so much emotion about missing them. Um, it just felt less important than it turned out to be.
1: Yeah, and especially because we didn't even, like like you said, I wouldn't even consider them friends then, but looking back on it now, I'm like, yeah, that, that person's my friend.
0: Right. I, I think that, um, you know, we live in a culture where, We don't have a lot of different types of words to describe the different types of relationships we have with people, especially non-romantic, non-familial relationships. So there are friends friends and acquaintances that, like, there's all all this texture of of what happens between you and other people in between those two poles of friends and acquaintances. And then within acquaintances, there are all these different levels of, of how well acquainted you are with the people involved and how, and how they impact your life and what kind of value they give to you, uh, you know, both practically and emotionally. And, uh, in some of these, some of these situations you end up with, in with people are so incidental. And that is like the very nature of, of being with these people is incidental that there's no words to talk about it. There's no language that, that makes these interactions specific. Um, and because of their very nature, they sort of slip your mind easily um, when you're having them all the time. Yeah, because I, and I think it's only in their absence that you start looking for more information on why you feel the way about them you do.
1: Right, it's almost closer to the, you know the the whole the heart grows fonder. I guess would be the old line. And and yeah, I, to your point, I wouldn't even. Like, now I'm calling them friends, but in the moment, like, what, are they tiny relationships? Are they micro-friends? Even writing down questions today for this, I'm like, what do I call these things? <laughs> That's really fascinating.
0: Right. That was that was a, one of the principal issues in trying to write about this and trying to ask questions about it to people who are experts in communication and experts in relationships, psychology, and things like that, is that I, I didn't know how to ask about what I was asking about because what do you call it? You know, how do you, how do you look up to see if there's research on it? If you don't know what yes. to call it.
1: And to really quickly, how, thank you, you know, because I felt, I felt really dumb. I'm glad you're sharing that because it's very true. <laughs> Sorry, go right. ahead.
0: It's, you know, and, and if there's no, and if there's no word for it, then, then does that imply there's no research on it? Because usually in order to organize like a body of knowledge around something, the thing needs a term you know, that yeah. everybody can use to – so there's, like, mutual understanding to what you're referring to. So what I found, uh, there's not really a whole lot of of language around this, uh, but there are people who sort of think about it professionally. Mm-hmm. Um, so I found some of those people, and uh, and we sort of talked <laughs> about <laughs> – and tried to sort of circumlocute around the <laughs> um, the category of relationships I was trying to get at.
1: That's hilarious and what 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 did what was there any conclusions that you guys uh, came to or any any info you got from it
0: well the the sociological term that I thought was most useful was the concept of weak ties um, which is a term that was coined back in the 70s by a sociologist at Stanford uh, that refers to a sort of outer circle the periphery of your life you know everybody knows what you're talking about when you when you say someone's inner circle, that's their romantic partner, their close family, their closest friends. Um, but uh, the sociologist posited that there is also a, a periphery, a an outer circle that uh, that is meaningful in and of itself. Until then, until the 70s, uh, it was pretty much taken as a foregone conclusion that the people who are most important to your well-being in life were your very closest friends and family. Um, but what what this sociologist found is that the weaker ties, the people on your periphery, are are extremely important. They bring you new ideas, they bring you uh, new opportunities, uh, new information. They introduce you to other new people. They're really really important in the in the fullness of a human life.
1: Right, fascinating. And with the even back to the whole without a title of it sort of thing, like I guess maybe it's just me or us as humans that without a title yeah like it doesn't seem like it is important like if if this thing doesn't have a name or anything then whoa, whoa, whoa I'm just going to pass it off so th- that's fascinating again
0: yes it, i think it shows the some of the limitations in how our culture thinks about the value of others in our lives uh because we have we have words to talk about the people who are close to us um but the fact that we don't really have a need to talk about the people who make up all of the rest of our lives sort of gives you an indication of, of how much our culture values those people and expects us to value those people. Um, and and I think undervaluing them is something that we do at our peril, which I think a lot of people have sort of realized now um, that we've been sort of swiftly, swiftly cut off from uh, from all of our weaker ties, um, but yeah, the, 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 there's no words for that beyond acquaintance um, or like casual friend. Right. But even even those are too yeah. sort of specific to particular things. Yeah. Um, to to get at the the entire category of people we're talking about here.
1: Yeah. So I wonder too if 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 we can't we 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 kind of have these subtle names and stuff. I wonder if the the, and I saw this word in your article the the, recipro- the reciprocity of it, it, it maybe we should be valuing and having you know putting more stock into that w- rather than the label. so like if someone's going to return the friendship or the or, or whatever it is and I don't even care what I call what we're going to call it as long as they're giving me something back.
0: Right. One of the one of the researchers I spoke with agreed with you. He said that the only word we have for this is friends. And that's the only word we should have. And I thought his case was pretty compelling um, because if you if you start to stratify things too much, you end up underestimating and devaluing the, the things that the people you're less tied to give you um, and what they contribute to your life. And it turns out that, like, you don't have to be close to a person to be important to them in some way. Uh, and I think that that understanding that and understanding that the people who work in service jobs at our favorite restaurants, our favorite coffee shops, the people who bring us our packages, the people who uh, check us out at the grocery store, those people are intensely valuable in our lives. They perform practical functions that that we would be lost without, and they perform emotional functions that we really need for our well-being. And I, I think that Acknowledging that and acknowledging that they are, in some capacity, our friends, um, is it gives people in those roles in life uh, sort of the acknowledgement that they deserve for all that they do and all that they provide to people.
1: One hundred percent. And also, like I said before, like I don't, I'm, and I'm 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 fine with it. I don't have a lot of friends. I'm an introvert, and so that's why this your article stuck out to me because. I, I actually do have friends now. <laughs> these these micro whatever you want to call them, you know. So that's why your your piece kind of spoke to me because I'm like, oh wow, I I'm not a loser. I do have friends. So screw you, world. So this is wonderful. So Amanda, thank you, thank you very much for chatting with me today. I, I really appreciate it. And I, and again, I love the I love most of your articles, but I really enjoyed this one as well. Well,
0: thank you so much. And one of the researchers I spoke with also self identifies as an introvert. Doesn't doesn't have like a lot of close ties that she spends a lot of time with, but absolutely loves talking to strangers. So I I think that there is, there is like real value in understanding those relationships is important to us uh, and, and acknowledging their value. Thank you for having me on to talk about it. It's the shift
4: podcast.
1: Um, The Q jumpers from BC that went up North and um, got vaccinated ahead of the line, allegedly posing as workers and allegedly lying to get the vaccine before a bunch of first nations elders of of all people they stole it from first nations sweet lord above so um, i i i don't i don't understand this I wanted to understand what makes them tick. So we're going to get to that in a sec. But I also want to understand why we love to cue so much. Like, in this case, I get it. This is life-saving medicine. We need it. We need everybody to stand in line properly. But in general, we love to queue, especially in Canada and in Britain. So here's The Guardian talking a little bit about why we might like to cue so much. Well, essentially, it comes down to a human desire for fairness and the simple rule of first come, first served.
3: Cues are almost micro-social situations. Everybody seems to get upset if those rules are transgressed. So for example, if somebody pushes in at the head of a queue, um, most people will be actually quite angry about that.
4: And the reason people get angry is that they're thinking, oh, you think your minutes of life are more valuable than my minutes of life. Well, you're stealing some of my minutes of life, so I have to spend in queue longer because you're going in front of me. Is everyone you just cut in front of an
3: I have children in the car.
4: I got a cake in the oven.
5: He's got three minutes left on the meter. She's got a lunch meeting.
1: Fairness is something deeply ingrained in us. Studies show that even from a very young age, we have a natural instinct for fair play. And this feeling is so strong that it can pretty much override everything else.
4: People view fairness in queuing as more important than the duration of the wait. So, in fact, research has shown that like in fast food restaurants, customers would prefer a queue, which is single serpentine guaranteed first come first serve that has twice the average weight than a fast food restaurant, which has parallel multiple queues, where chances are somebody who comes into the restaurant after you
1: gets served before you. Fascinating. So we love to queue. So especially in serious situations like this with the people from BC that went up to the Yukon to, to allegedly lie their way to get it, it really ticks us off. So I talked to a UVic professor, Robert Gifford. Um, he's done research in the interface of environmental, social and personality psychology. So he's a smart guy. And I just had a casual chat. I, Chad, I got his thoughts on queue jumpers in the Yukon, party throwers that are just, you know, blatantly throwing parties and all this, not caring. And some extremes, like say spitting COVID allegedly on, on businesses and, and just horribles and these extremes and why we get to them and his thoughts on why as Canadians we like to queue so
3: much. Well, I think in part it's a Canadian thing. Uh, I know somebody who's from France and says, you know, queue jumping is close to normal there and I've seen that in other countries as well. So part of that reason is Canadian culture is, uh, puts queue sticking to a queue uh, quite high on, an, on, on our list of values. Wow, fascinating okay um so and and, and not every- and that 's not true of every culture
1: <laughs> I was going to say um, I, I know that the Brits they take it very seriously, so I wonder what it is about the culture that that would would affect that
3: i don 't know i 'm not a historian, but uh you know there's something about good uh, how does the phrase go uh good good orderly government or something which we may have inherited from the Brits, I think. Right. For and sure. Orderly being the, 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 the key word there. Yeah.
1: Um, okay. Um, maybe we'll just jump to this. What is it about these sneaky cue jumpers that, that, that think, is, is it? do they think they're more important to everyone? Or what's, what do you think it is about their processes that makes them think that they have the right to get ahead of everyone?
3: Well, of course, you'd have to, you know, do a confidential interview with them to ask about that. And I was imagining what their own dinner table conversation might be like, because I presume that one of them was more in favor of this than the other. And but uh, that's uh, we're not going to we're not going to have that conversation. But uh, the one who was pushing for it, whichever one it was. Uh, um, certainly has um, is using a few of what i call the dragons of inaction which i invented for climate change but it can apply to other things like why we don't take care of our health as much as we should or give as much to charity as we should but it can be applied to this too and a couple of the dragons that jump out at me from the 40 or so on my list is one is a kind of uh sense of uh, entitlement. Uh, I worked hard to get this $10 million job. So I'm uh, allowed to do uh, things that ordinary people can't. And of course, I have the means to do it as well. So that's the, maybe the top uh, reason, I think, that I'm a sense of entitlement or I earned this.
1: Um, what are what are some others maybe that 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 you could think of that could re- your dragons of entitlement that would relate to to this gentleman? That of course, just this is just your professional opinion.
3: Yeah, it is just my opinion, of course, since I haven't talked to them or or anything. But uh, you know, and the other people who uh, who flout the rules about mask wearing, uh, one of them is a kind of self centeredness. Uh, I'm only thinking about myself. Uh, uh, and not really thinking about other people, uh, which means that the the person uh, fails to realize, you know, in Bonnie Henry terms, that you really could be carrying it, uh, the virus, and and transmit it to other people. So a kind of self centeredness is one problem. Uh, another uh, dragon is that's. Uh, commonly used for for, for for lots of things like this is what I call mistrust of, of science and mistrust of government, uh, uh, a sense of Proud Boys idealism that uh, uh, I don't want to be controlled by, by scientists or the government. I'm, I'm, I'm an independent person. I can do what I want. Mixed with this kind of optimism bias that it I don't think it's going to hit me. Uh, you know, it's not that many people. I'm fine. And the, the other one at the end of it is what I call environmental numbness, which is a kind of which a lot of us are feeling even if we stay in our queues. That is, we're, we're weary of of all the rules we're, we're we're tired of 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 the rules, and we're tired of hearing the message uh, I call it environmental numbness that is like tuning out of an ad that you've heard many many times already, so a kind of combination of optimism bias uh mistrust of science uh thinking only more about myself than other people
1: yeah, I think. I think what those those ones you you mentioned there could really be applied to if we could expand just out a little more to to the people that are having these these parties of um allegedly hundreds of people showing up like that's that seems to fall into to those categories you mentioned there would you agree
3: Oh absolutely yeah um yeah, I mean we do know that it's you know there's an age uh thing going on here and these parties tend to be younger people but what they're forgetting is that they may take uh, they they may indeed be relatively safe from the virus but what they forget about is that when they go home or when they go into the grocery store or whatever they may carry it and transmit it to older people or other people and so again it's a kind of self-centeredness uh you know a, a friend of mine said on the other hand you're only you know 21 you know once and to some extent young people are having their 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 kind of youthful fun taken away from them more than older people are uh not to excuse the behavior but to maybe make it a little bit more understandable yeah,
1: that's that's totally. I've heard that a few times too, and and, and definitely I understand that, that that side of things and where they're coming from. I wonder. I'm going to go back really quick. You said something that had me thinking for a sec too. The when it, when we mentioned the the couple that traveled to the Yukon, you, you are rightfully so. You didn't know who who influenced too, but even the influence of people. Um, in situations like this it's fascinating even though we know how serious it is we know we're jumping the queue and if someone is in in our circle of friends how easily we can be swayed to jump the queue and just kind of follow along um with the scenario that's happening
3: yeah i mean let's 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 pretend for a moment that one of the two in the couple was more, had the idea or was pushing on it. Well, the other one, uh, of course, may be predisposed to the idea or pressured uh, or threatened or whatever. So certainly social norms and social uh, comparison and social pressure uh, are, you know, a lot of us don't want to admit that we're really pressured to do things for social reasons, but but the fact of the matter is that we are
1: absolutely even as even as as much as I don't like to conform to the, what everybody's doing and follow the trends, I still find myself doing it so yeah that is so that's very fascinating uh, maybe one more um, if maybe we can get a look into this somehow uh, again if, if if you can't uh, that's fine, but there has been extreme cases of um um people going to um uh, this, there's, there's um, evidence of a man that is just walking in front of storefronts and just spitting, just spreading COVID everywhere. It seems what they, that's the attitude they have. Would there be some dragons of intent related to someone in that situation?
3: Uh, I'm that a little thinking too ex- a little bit. There's 40 yeah. of these dragons, yeah. so I'm, I'm, I'm mentally thinking over the list here. Sure. Um, and I know it's It, is, it, it uh, is.
1: It's fairly extreme as well, so I, I understand well, if there wouldn't be one. But, yeah, I just, I'm just wondering.
3: Well, there is, there is one that might come close. It's called contrarian personality. Okay. The contrarian personality is somebody who just simply enjoys being against the established norms and derives actually a kind of personal pleasure from that, that person would probably say, I'm just being different. But when I'm just being different, you know, morphs into aggressive actions. Uh, that's the contrarian personality uh, in action.
1: And some people just want to see the uh, world burn. That's kind of that one. Robert Gifford, UVic professor talking about Q jumpers and uh, the psychology behind it. Uh, Rod Baker, former CEO of great Canadian gaming and his wife, Ekaterina Baker, allegedly flew to First Nations community of Beaver Creek to get the vaccine before their turn in BC. It's alleged they posed as essential workers to receive the Moderna Vex, and they don't get their second shot. Got a text from Rob at 877 9898 As with the Q-Jumpers, what a pair of disgusting, vile, self-serving piles of crap they are. Did social media out them? I sure hope so. Oh, Rob, they've been outed. There's a court date set for them, I believe. Uh, they're due to appear in court in Whitehorse on May 4th. So there's potentially six months of jail time on that. Potentially, really quickly. Let's go to Peter in Winnipeg. Peter,
2: hi. How are you? I'm well. What's up? What I want to know is those ones that jumped the queue. Yeah. Now, as far as I'm concerned, they have committed attempted murder. Second of all, yeah. Put the bastards in jail. Pardon yeah. my English. Yep. Yeah. But make them work while they're there. Put them at hard labor. Yep. Yeah. For the rest of their lives, because. Like, even me, I don't know if I'm going to take it or not because of my age, yeah, yeah. I think everyone should stay in the lineup, and everybody can be saved or wants to be saved.
1: Absolutely. You
2: know, and people with me, because I've got some medical conditions, and to me, yeah. I am not going to waste a vial on me that can save a healthy person to stay on this earth a lot longer.
1: Wow. See, Peter, that that's the kind of way we need everybody to be thinking about others. Well, good for you, man. Thanks for calling. I appreciate you. Thank you very much for listening to me. Anytime, my man. You call in anytime. That was Peter from Winnipeg.
0: This is The Shift
4: Podcast.
1: Scott Thompson of The Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Talk to Eric Johnston about comedy during the pandemic. What's happening? What's going to happen? And what will happen... Again, the
4: time of the show when we talk about various uh, Hamiltonians and what they are doing to survive during a COVID-19 pandemic. Obviously, this has uh, greatly hit the hospitality industry, uh, but also the entertainment industry. Uh, we, we've talked about bands and, and musicians that are stuck, uh, even uh, actors or comedians. Uh, let's introduce you to Eric Johnston, touring comedian and Hamilton based actor and is with us now. Eric, thanks for the time. I hope you're doing well.
5: Hey, Scott, I'm surviving. I'm just going to say, before we even get started, the next time you're booking an 84th birthday party, think of (laughs) Hamilton's favorite wannabe Italian physical stand-up comedian, Eric Johnson, because I got nothing going on right now. I need the work, and 84 is my age bracket
4: for sure. <laughs> oh man! Well, you know that was the same thing with COVID Elvis. Man, he used to sit and, he used to sing in homes, and and that's how he made his living. And of course, that doesn't happen anymore. So well, you know he's pivoted. To so maybe off. Eric, maybe Eric, this is something you can do. You know, you just show up on somebody's <laughs> step and just start whipping them off.
5: Hey, I am by by any means necessary type guy. I'm a any port in a storm, and I'm looking for ports all over the place.
4: <laughs> so uh, talk to us about what life was like for you before COVID nineteen and and obviously, in COVID-19?
5: Oh, man. So things were cooking for me. I, I November 1st, I celebrated 10 years as a professional touring stand-up comedian. Uh, I, I celebrated at my mom's house in Stony Creek, where I live. Uh, but I, uh, before that, I was doing you know, 200 shows a year. I did a Canada... National wide tour. I did seventy five one hour shows across Canada from Victoria, B.C. to the, to um, oh, sorry yeah Victoria, B.C. all the way uh, across to the East Coast. And I came home. I was breaking into the U.S. market. Actually, it's funny. The first week of March, I did seven sold out shows at the Laugh Factory in Chicago. Uh, wow. Four hundred and fifty people a night. Uh, I came home on March fifteenth. And on March 17th, the border closed. So I <laughs> had to reevaluate what was going on, uh, in my life. Uh, I did not touch a microphone again physically until that July. Uh, I started something called the Eric Johnston campfire comedy tour, where just like COVID Elvis, I actually became uh, what I would say, maybe a clown, uh, in, in the terms of I would mm-hmm. show up to people's homes to make them laugh. So people were throwing this summer. Everyone knows everyone was throwing these small gatherings, house parties of 30, 50 and up to 100 people in their in their backyards. I would show up with a stool, microphone, speaker, backdrop, two spotlights, two opening acts, and I would do my hour. And I did 15 of those uh, this summer. So, again, by any means necessary
4: uh you know it must be difficult too because this is a business of momentum you said you just came off uh you know a stint there in chicago where it was a great experience how concerned are you you know you build up the momentum from that and you know the success of one gig carries to another and then boom it stops you got to start that all over again
5: yeah I, i was a little concerned with that i think you know with me i think anyone who follows me on social media at eric johnston who throw that in there uh, you can I'm constantly trying to stay in the forefront of people's minds, whether that's with, you know, putting up certain jokes or video work or, you know, even just a picture of me flexing just to keep the ladies interested. Uh, <laughs> I got to keep I keep that momentum going. And and I've done anything else, you know, I've done the Zoom comedy shows. And then when the comedy clubs opened uh, with 50 capacity, I did 27 shows in a month. I was like, okay, they're open. Let's go. I did, I did um, uh, Kingston, uh, Ottawa, and Toronto. I did 27 shows over 30 days. So just trying to keep that balloon in the air. People, you know, think, oh, who's a Hamilton comedian? Uh, oh, it's that guy flexing on his Instagram. That's him. Let's keep, you know, let's work and book him. And and, and I, I have a solid fan base here in Hamilton that was kind of spreading across, you know, Canada and, and into the States. And I'm just trying to keep that balloon in the air. I'm not too concerned, but I did lose, you know, 18 months of momentum. So,
4: so, any word as to when? And I, you know, I've had the same discussion with bands, musicians, and such. Any word when all of a sudden the things are going to start to open up? Is there any sort of sniff out there as to when things may get back? What about the summer festivals, that sort of yeah, thing? Yeah.
5: So, I've been talking to a couple of venues this spring. So April, May, June. I'm already pre booking with the ob- obviously the option to cancel. I'm booking the uh, the Eric Johnston Brewery Tour where I'm going to do all these local microbreweries and breweries across Ontario. They've all built kind of these outdoor patio spaces mm. to entertain. Now, I will now go to those patio spaces and same deal with the, the Spotlight, Stool, Two Opening Acts, and do my hour. Uh, I'm pre-booking them already, you know, in, in Northern Ontario. I've got one at Sarnia booked in Windsor. And that's just a hope, I think, every and not just comedian every entertainer schedule is written in pencil right now which the which with the massive option to erase it so hopefully with this new lockdown and the numbers are going down and the introduction of the vaccine hopefully things will be back to kind of semi-normal by spring and then hopefully by summer if people can have backyard parties again, I'm going to do season two of the Eric Johnston Campfire Comedy Tour and do as many people's backyards as I can. I, I have show, will travel, I've I've always said. So uh, I'm just ready. I'm ready. I'm like a, a fighter or like a bull right before, a bull, uh, the, you know, the bull riding. Someone's going to tap me on the back and the gate's going to open and I'm going to take off. And hopefully it lasts more than eight seconds. So.
4: Uh, it's not always the case. Uh, yeah. <laughs> how um, how much does COVID or will COVID nineteen come into your show? I've asked this of musicians. You know, you, you have to think. Everything culturally is going to change after this. You know, yeah. uh, what we watch, what we listen to. How do, will this affect music? What about comedy? I mean, you know, do people just not want to hear about it, or do you go out and make fun of it?
5: Well, you know, here's the thing. I've always believed, even in any any previous you know political or world event. I've always believed that a comedy club is where people go to forget about the world and not be constantly be reminded of, you know, Trump or or what mm-hmm. climate change or whatever everyone's kind of talking about. I've always thought that this is the place where people come for, you know, three hours, two, three hours. Uh, they have a couple of drinks. They have some nachos and they see some comedy. I've always believed in that. So I, I have some references that I've added to my hour. Just, you know, at one point I just say like, you know, I, did, I didn't even have a mask or something. It was to do with a joke. <laughs> that sounds terrible. I have a mask and I wear it everywhere I have to. Um, but, you know, I, I, I have these little kind of tags I've thrown in COVID related. But for the most part, I'm just going to let this thing disintegrate once it's over and hopefully never talk about it again. You know, I, and, and that's. Hmm the hope i mean respect and remember the people we lost and the people we were affected but for the most part let's uh let's start let's get the party started again let's get the dance moves and, and the storytelling going again so that's kind of the way i'm looking at it
4: uh, i think a lot of people are uh, certainly echoing that uh, website or anything we can go to to find out what you are doing and when you will start again
5: yeah, So for all the pictures of me flexing, uh, you can. <laughs> you yes, can including the
4: flexi- this yeah, special flex, special flex page.
5: My sister, who was actually on your show last week, uh, Holly Johnston, the Habert Ashery This is a whole yeah. Johnson affair on your show.
4: I so. didn't even I didn't even realize that. Yeah, so okay, is there another member of the? She is there another me member there. of the family that's about to come on? I mean, can we get someone else on? You get my mom. She is retired from the Bank of Montreal after
5: forty-five years. So you can talk about GameStop <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, but yeah, it's a whole Johnston affair. You can follow me online. Anything across the board is Eric Johnston, who, so Eric with a C Johnston with a T W H O. That's my website, my Instagram, my Twitter, my Facebook. It's all there. And usually that's where all my show listings are. Uh, but they are not there right now, but I hopefully will I'll be doing some more zoom shows and then get this brewery tour going and get the campfire comedy tour again. And I just, I just want to get back to work and
4: I'm so excited. Eric Johnston's been with us, touring comedian, a touring comedian and Hamilton-based actor. Of course, just hoping to get through this pandemic and get working again out the other side. Check out the website. Eric, thanks for the time. Good luck. Can't wait to see you. Thanks, Scotty.
1: Too. Talk to you soon, buddy. Thanks, Scott. My name's Eric, too. I'm cool. I'm fun and cool. Haberdashery. I heard that word in there. That's a, 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 a person that uh, sells men's goods, such as clothing and accessories. A haberdasherer. Haberdash, Haberdash, Haberdashery, Haberdashery and Haber, Haber, Haberdash. Go ahead. Have two. It's fine. Thanks for listening
0: to the Shift Podcast.
4: Make sure you subscribe, rate and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify and CuriousCast.ca.